Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. Recently, the largest Russian language darknet marketplace, known as Hydra, was taken offline by German law enforcement. In this episode, my colleague Kim Grauer and I discuss Hydra's massive criminal ecosystem that transacted well over $1 billion worth of goods and services last year. We're joined by two experts from Flashpoint Intel, Ian and Vlad. Flashpoint is the globally trusted leader in risk intelligence. They share special insights into the mechanics of Hydra's operation and eventual demise. We also speculate on where some of this criminal commerce might go next. Please note, Flashpoint Intel is a Chainalysis partner. And if you're enjoying the content in this podcast, then you should absolutely join us in person May 18th and 19th for the Chainalysis Links Conference in New York City. We bring together leaders and experts from all parts of the cryptocurrency ecosystem for beginner to advanced content on DeFi, NFTs, Web3, crypto crime, compliance, and risk management. To register, visit the URL in the show notes. I'm your host, Ian Andrews. Today, we've got a packed house, a virtual packed house. I'm joined by my colleague, Kim Grauer, Director of Research here at Chainalysis, and then partner of ours, uh, Flashpoint Intel. I've got Ian Gray, Senior Director of Intelligence, and Vlad, the Intelligence Team Lead, joining me on the podcast today because we had some huge news recently. An organization called Hydra was taken down by law enforcement, totally taken off the internet. Uh, if you follow cyber criminal activity, if you follow drug trafficking or uh, cryptocurrency money laundering, you might have heard of Hydra before. I find this fascinating development. So I wanted to bring the experts here so we could we could chat about it today. Vlad, maybe first question for you. Thanks for joining us. Can you help the listeners understand who Hydra is and what they've been up to? Certainly. And thanks for having us here. So let's see, first and foremost, what is Hydra? It's the biggest marketplace, not only in Russia or the former Soviet Union, but probably in the world. They've been around uh, since 2015. And what's very interesting here, they basically started their, I guess, reigns in the Russian uh, underground by taking down their main competitor, Ram, uh, or Russian Anonymous Marketplace, also a narcotics marketplace. They basically DDoSed that site until they basically had to go out of business, just disappear. And even since then, there were some unconfirmed ties to Russian law enforcement at Hydra. And we can talk about that later in more details. It's basically a compilation or um, a place where vendors can host their shops and sell their goods. And when I say goods, I mean anything from narcotics to documents, in some cases, to even illegal arms, you can buy a lot of things on Hydra. But aside from being a marketplace, Hydra also served as a place where you could uh, essentially mix and cash out your cryptocurrency. So for instance, if you partake in some sort of illegal business, you can use Hydra pretty safely. And for a fee that would be anywhere between 5 to 12 to 15%, you can essentially make sure that yours, like the steps from you having the Bitcoin that you obtained from legal activities to you cashing out are untraced. And that was done by using some um, Russia-based uh, fiat currencies, we could sh- uh, which we can also discuss later. But essentially, yes, this is the big picture. It's a shop that has been around for seven years up until April 5th, uh, their closure date. So essentially, this is the longest running shop or marketplace or any sort of dark web community in the former Soviet Union, at least to our knowledge. And it was definitely very interesting to observe it. And now we can talk about next steps as well. So that's basically the big picture here. 
That's amazing to me. So for the last seven years, this organization was operating kind of an online e-commerce storefront for drugs, documents, weapons, and kind of out of the reach of, of law enforcement until this April 5th takedown, which was, I think, unexpected, right? Nobody really saw this coming until it happened. I think I presumed Hydro was sort of a fixture on the internet and then all of a sudden just gone in a surprise one day. Did you guys have any leading indicators that this was uh, this takedown was coming? I think much like the Spanish Inquisition, no one ever expects a takedown. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say here, like it's it's also very important to know that the takedown here did not come from within the country where this shop was mainly operating, which is the Russian Federation. Uh, the site was taken down by German law enforcement, and you know for years our working theory was that Hydra was working closely with Russian law enforcement, and for a certain cut they were being able to operate more or less freely because I mean. Arguably, what country would want narcotics to be distributed that freely within their country? I want to come back to that point on on German law enforcement, because this this was a fascinating point I didn't realize. I had heard about Hydra, and the first thing I was really surprised about reading about the takedown was the scale of the operations. Can you kind of just give us a sense of who was, how many people were using this? What was the kind of scale of commerce being transacted through the marketplace? Yeah, I think the scale of commerce, they said over 5 billion in cryptocurrency. Total users, we had about 17,000 vendors. And I think in, I forget the total number of users, but it was definitely in the millions. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely looking at millions because there are all sorts of shops there from shops that have a customer base of 100 people to shops that have a customer base of 5,000. So you basically take that number, the number of vendors, and multiply it by the average number of people that have used those shops internally. So we're definitely looking at millions. Essentially, everybody in a certain elegant specific age group in Russia knew what Hydra was, and they still know, obviously. So yeah, it was a very, definitely a very big shop. It's a phenomenon. And Hydra was not the direct vendor in in all cases or most cases. I think they were really a marketplace for other vendors to list uh, products like drugs or weapons or services like information theft and and resale, right? Yeah, that's that's accurate. So essentially, for like I think ten percent of your revenue, you get to host your shop on Hydra, and then people would go to Hydra, find a specific section of interest, go to that section, find a specific vendor that is rated by other users. So you can basically pick and choose. It is uh, just what you would imagine from like a regular legitimate marketplace that you would use for buying regular goods, only for illicit goods. Amazing. You can find anything on the internet, apparently, and it, it truly is anything. Kim, I'm curious from a crypto perspective, my understanding is that all transactions on the marketplace were cryptocurrency. Like, What could we see from an on-chain activity related to Hydra? We have been able to see just how significant a player Hydra is in the darknet market space. It is over has been over 75% of total darknet market activity. Billions of dollars received each year. Again, a major a lion's share of that is received by Hydra. But we can also start to look at other things such as the major counterparties or the individual wallets that are using Hydra. What can we piece together about 
where those users receive their cryptocurrency from, how do they react to major market fluctuations. Some other research that we've been looking, really paying attention to, we published case study today that showed one of these counterparties was a part of a major international drug trafficking rings with ties to Latin America in the cocaine trade distribution with ties to Hydra. We can see this macro picture unfolding, which shows just how significant Hydra is. And we can also learn a lot about the types of activity and who the people are engaging with Hydra by just running some blockchain analysis on the main counterparties. 75% of all darknet market activity. That's amazing to me. So we're going to have to come back around to like what happens next. Where does all that demand and supply go? Because I imagine it's not just going away totally. But I'm really curious about the takedown. So Vlad, you mentioned, you know, this was German law enforcement managed to seize servers. My understanding is Hydra was really Russian language primarily. Uh, Most of the participants were in uh, former Soviet bloc countries. Why did they have servers in Germany in the first place? Do we have any idea about that? That's an excellent question. And it's a question that is really difficult to answer. Why? Our educated guess here would be that it just worked out that way. They just found a service provider, presumably also on the dark web, and they went with that service. Did they know that the servers were based out of Germany? We don't know. Personally, I'm looking forward to maybe the German law enforcement releasing some more details about the takedown. But for now, we can only make some educated guesses. I'm not sure if he wants to add. I will add that we've seen a lot of darknet marketplaces being hosted either in Germany or the Netherlands. And in that regard, German law enforcement and the Dutch law enforcement have been extremely proactive in taking down a lot of these sites and domains. I'll call one example, which I don't believe is associated with the Hydra takedown, uh, the Cyber Bunker, which was an old World War II bunker that was reformatted to bulletproof hosting. And uh, when law enforcement took that over, I believe it was in 2019, with that came Wall Street Market, which tried to exit in 2019 and failed to do so. Um, There was also Dark Market in January of, I think, 2020. And then there was the uh, announcement of the dark, well, the takedown of several other markets a few months ago uh, that were also associated with CyberBunker. Again, I don't think this is associated with that. Um, Law enforcement did announce that they indicted the administrator of Hydra, Pavlov, who ran a hosting company, Prompt Service. Uh, If we tied that back, I'm sure there's very likely some links to Germany. And again, historically, we've seen a lot of marketplaces host their services either in the Netherlands or in Germany. Um, And I think that likely has to do with internet connectivity and reliability of service. So it's it's simply about being able to reach people from a a connectivity standpoint, why they're not in a former Soviet bloc country where they maybe have a little more uh, freedom to operate. It's moving into Germany gives them basically better, better internet connectivity. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a business for all intents and purposes. They're trying to manage risk uh, and they're considering uptime. And for dark marketplaces, we've seen that being extremely difficult. As Vlad was talking about, Hydra DDoSed ramp. They took down their competitors. Uh, we see that across other marketplaces in the underground where they're trying to fight for market share. So having a reliable hosting provider or vendor could be a value add when setting up a uh, dark web marketplace. And Kim, I I think one of the the interesting facets of the Hydra business was that they offered uh, money laundering and kind of crypto to fiat on-ramp, off-ramp for all their their vendors. What do we see from an on-chain transaction perspective? You know, what is the transaction data showing us when when we look at something like Hydra in that regard? The first thing that we can see when we think about quantifying money laundering from Hydra is 
where are the funds going to when they exit Hydra? What are the services that are being used to off-ramp the funds from, from Hydra? And to some degree, you can make assumptions about the counterparties of Hydra. You're a vendor if you are a net receiver of cryptocurrency above a certain threshold directly from a marketplace. And then we can ask, where are the funds going to once they leave these services once they leave Hydra in 2021 and has continued and been a major narrative so far this year is the use of OTCs and professional money laundering businesses within Moscow City and specifically within one tower called Federation Tower, which we've talked about, um, that hosts many services, including Grantex, which was recently sanctioned. The Hydra money, ransomware money is all flowing to, to these services, which are professionally in the business of laundering money. So that is one piece. Although Hydra, and I'm sure Vlad and Ian can speak more about evidence for this, but Hydra in particular does actually also offer a ruble off-ramp as well. So you can choose kind of a variety of of journeys for laundering money between Hydra and this illicit services available at Federation Tower and, and within Moscow City. It all comes back to Federation Tower. The connections there are kind of amazing because we we saw the connectivity into the ransomware organizations like NetWalker, our evil teams who were collaborating with uh, SueX and ChatX as they're laundering over-the-counter broker infrastructure. Amazing that that Hydra had connectivity in, into those businesses as well. Fascinated by this crypto to fiat kind of uh, the hidden treasure operation. Could you maybe explain to listeners what that is if they're not familiar with hidden treasure? Okay, yeah. So just briefly, just going back to your previous point, I just wanted to add something that when it comes to mixing services and cash out services, not only vendors on Hydra were able to use that, but also basically all the users on Hydra. And Hydra had an internal service that is like their native service, plus maybe like another 2,000, 3,000 services that advertise themselves on Hydra that were not associated with the market itself, but just uh, provided same services, like an alternative service to Hydra. So when it comes to hidden treasure, though, Essentially, I can just provide, you know, like a brief explanation of the whole operation. You will provide your wallet with the money, the amount of money they want to withdraw, a uh, preferred way of withdrawing the money, and then preferred delivery method. And Hidden Treasure initially was established as a service before that, the actual money service. It was established as a narcotics service. So essentially, you would find the drug of choice, order it, and then within hours, it will not be like exactly your apartment per se. It will be like a general area maybe within a mile of your apartment, let's say, the person who, I guess, for lack of a better term, would just call them couriers, would deliver the drug and would hide the drug within maybe a tree stump or a manhole, you know, like you name it. You basically pick and choose. And then not immediately, but within maybe two or three hours, you would go to pick it up. Same with money. Only with money, it would generally be somewhere outside of the city and they would make sure that there's a place that essentially like nobody's watching and they will basically dig a hole and basically bury the cash there for you to pick it up. This sounds like a like a spy movie, right? You've got dead drops, you've got holes being dug in the ground or uh, secret hiding locations where drugs and money are, are located. Was this happening at scale or was it just kind of a one-off thing? Just to make it even more exciting for like your spy movie plot, there are people who are watching the, the couriers. So like essentially you follow the courier, you see where they dig the hole, you go back to that spot and you basically pick up the money before the actual 
uh, like the actual customer gets it. So, um, <laughs> so you had thieves who were monitoring the courier service, and they would steal what was whatever was left behind before the intended recipient got there. It's like Omar from The Wire stealing from drug dealers. But if I can highlight maybe something about the marketplace as well. As Vlad said, you have physical goods and you have digital goods. And physical goods can either be transmitted through a number of ways, through the federal post, and I'm sure Russia doesn't want drugs going through their postal system, through couriers or other third parties, uh, drop shippers, but also the treasure uh, hunting service that Vlad said for the dead drops. And so it helps eliminate a lot of risk, but also it helps in a way kind of control who's actually on the marketplace. Uh, vendors will typically list where they will sell to or ship to. As Vlad and I have looked at the marketplace, a lot of those were in either Russia or former satellite states of the Soviet Union, uh, Moldova, Ukraine, uh, Latvia, etc. It helped make the marketplace a little bit more, I guess, regional, if you will, at least for those, those physical goods. I have to wonder, the reason for restricting access is the idea that they were somehow less likely to run afoul of law enforcement by staying out of, say, Western Europe, which is geographically adjacent to the areas they were operating in, or was there another reason behind it? I think you're basically right on the money. That was our assumption as well. But it's also important to note that before the pandemic, they had some aspirations of basically expanding this, their services over to first Central Europe. So countries like Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Poland, and then from there, perhaps going over to Western Europe, right? They definitely considered that. But then the pandemic made it more difficult for them to even operate within the borders of the former Soviet Union or the countries where they operated, essentially. So they had to kind of scale down or at least essentially get rid of those plans, abandon them. And since then, since 2020, they haven't really considered going, say, like over to Germany, Great Britain. They just remain within the borders of the former Soviet Union. The pandemic is the great equalizer. It, it affected us all, good guys and bad guys alike, slowed us all down. So a couple questions. One, you mentioned that there's multiple administrators who have been running Hydra since since launch. It's a pretty large operation. It's not just a few people in a single room. I think only one person was actually arrested when the, the server takedown happened. Should we expect that the other administrators sort of pick this back up? They restore from backup in the cloud and, and it's back up and running in a few days? Or do you expect this will play out differently? It's hard to tell because it's only been a week. There are maybe, I would say, five to seven different shops similar to Hydra that operate also in the Russian Federation and adjacent countries as well, where some sellers have moved from Hydra over to those shops. But it's also important to note that the vast majority of these shops that advertise narcotics, for instance, operate in Telegram as well. So for instance, you advertise your services on Hydra first, then you from there get prompted to, to the Telegram group or Telegram bot in some cases where you basically order the drugs of choice, you pay right there and go from there. Hydra was the most centralized place that. So like instead of having five to seven uh, different marketplaces, you had one. So it was very convenient. And it was also a one-stop shop for the vendors and for people who essentially partook in cybercrime. They can just, they can sell goods, they can withdraw the money, they can do it all in one place instead of doing it all over like various shops. So it was very convenient for both the seller and the buyer. So law enforcement's inconvenienced the vendors, but perhaps hasn't necessarily taken the suppliers totally out of the market. They've got other paths to meet their buyers. Absolutely. It will just be a bit more difficult for the buyers to find a reliable product, a reliable seller. Uh, we will see a lot more uh, scanning activities related to this as well. 
going to say that whenever a marketplace shuts down, we see a common trend of activity. We see people going to alternative forums to kind of talk about what happened. Usually rumors that the marketplace may come back. Uh, we see people now advertising on Telegram, as Vlad mentioned, that they have shops, they are a vendor, they're willing to sell to you, and they might sell directly through Telegram. And I think that's okay. It presents some risk, though, I want to say to the buyers, because there are scams that exist there. And Hydra, as Vlad mentioned, provided the infrastructure and sort of the facilitator of funds and transactions where you would have someone to go to for recourse. Typically, a few months after we see rumors of a new kind of marketplace, which I feel has never really come to fruition. Uh, we had a few examples, Televend, which was a Telegram operated marketplace, basically interacted with a bot for all transactions. And there was also a dot onion link where you could see the, the listings if you want to search through that went down a few months ago following uh, a law enforcement, I don't believe it was associated with the law enforcement, you have talks of decentralized centralized marketplaces. People used Open Bazaar for a little bit after Alpha Bay shut down or was shut down in 2017. That had different issues in terms of search. And so there's always rumors abound of people using I2P or different types of services. But essentially, what I would expect is that we have a new type of Russian marketplace coming up in a few months. And if any of those administrators are still at large, it's likely they might take a few months, let the heat cool off, and then try and rethink about, okay, what is our next step, our next operation? And maybe how can we do this differently to avoid law enforcement takedown? It is actually cool to see. I mean, it's a major thread that we always research what happens after a darknet market closure. And you can watch vendors transfer their shops to new darknet marketplaces. I think that what was unique about Hydra was in the past few years, at least according to the on-chain data, it, it's been seeing a massive increase in, in market share, but a decrease in the number of users. And that's because it seems to be supporting really large vendors who are doing bulk orders. And we see this in some case studies. This is major international drugs activity going on. So it's not really going to be you You see this, this closure and then you kind of reassess your marketplaces that you want to use and maybe choose the next one that's just easy to access. These are major businesses that are operating on Hydra. So I think it's something to consider that is unique about Hydra that is different about its closure versus maybe some other marketplaces that have either self-closed over the past year or closed down for other reasons. You're saying that they had moved all the way upstream into the distribution tier for narcotics trafficking and some of the other things they were selling. It wasn't just a few people trying to, to sell drugs on the internet to kids. It was a much more professionalized operation. So the, the dynamic of finding a replacement platform is going to be a bit harder. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Kim, what are we seeing from a from an on-chain activity? Like, obviously, I think last year Hydra did about a 1.3 billion in transacted cryptocurrency, if I remember the statistic correctly. You're able to see the counterparties that were interacting with them, some of the larger ones. Is there anything there that leads us to uh, where some of this demand might go? Nothing yet in terms of a chosen marketplace that is going to receiving all of the money from the counterparties of Hydra. There's not kind of been the, you know, the chosen place, but you are seeing things happen with the counterparties. They are holding on to their funds. Um, some of them are, are seem to be sitting and holding on to their funds, which we're monitoring. Others seem to be using mixers. So there is some action, but I don't see a chosen marketplace yet that is um, kind of receiving all of the business. 
And I wonder, uh, you know, total speculation here, but it seems like law enforcement in the past has taken down one of these vendors and then kind of gone through the network to get some of the other other significant players, you know, particularly when they've been able to seize server infrastructure that kind of gives them insight in you know, real world entities that maybe were previously unidentified. You know, how might we see some of that activity happening in the future? Is Are, are there any clues to where this goes next, the next takedown that we can see right now? I would say whoever is the largest market is going to be a target from law enforcement. Uh, I think Kim kind of hinted towards, and Kim Vlad and I had discussed before, uh, there were a lot of marketplaces that went down over the last year. Canazon, Torres, White House Market, the Canadian headquarters. Some of them were law enforcement. Some of them were exits, people just getting out of the game. And I think you basically have just a few major players that people can go to. And at least for Hydra, the question is, can they support it? Can they support it from a language standpoint? Do they have the infrastructure to uh, support a number of new users, to support a larger number of transactions? As we said, Hydra was facilitating billions in cryptocurrency transactions, millions of users. Right now, I don't know if there is any other marketplace that can support that. Alphabay did relaunch in, I believe it was August of 2021. And so I'm sure they would probably happily take individuals fleeing Hydra. Prior Alphabay, the former, the original, did have a Russian language component, at least in their forums, as I recall. Uh, I don't recall how many transactions were actually going to Russia, but it seems like maybe that's a market opportunity for them. Alphabay was taken down once. Who knows, maybe it'll be taken down again. But of course, that's just speculation. I would just add that a very important thing here to consider is, yes, they can seize the infrastructure, they can seize the crypto, but they will not arrest the operators who are likely based in the Russian Federation and um, getting somebody extradited from Russia right now is very, very difficult. And in terms of uh, specifically the niche that Hydra occupied and other similar shops, you know, it's important to remember that, and I might be giving you slightly inaccurate numbers, but the idea is still there. Essentially, 18 million Russians use drugs from time to time. 20 to 22 million people have used them in the past. Russia amounts for about 20 to 30 percent of world's opioid circulation, basically. So there's definitely demand for that. And when there's demand, there'll be supply as well. This is definitely not the end for this industry. We will definitely see other shops. It's just a question of what shop will uh, be the next one to basically take the reins of Hydra. This is fascinating. I can't wait to have you all back on and hopefully talk about the next takedown. Ian, Vlad, thanks so much for your time today. Kim, as always, it's it's a pleasure to chat with you. For the Flashpoint team, where can people stay on top of this? I feel like you more about what's happening inside these the whole world of the dark web than, than anybody else I get the opportunity to talk to. What's a good way to stay on top of the news coming out of your company? Uh, check out our blog at Flashpoint Intel. It's flashpointtechintel.com. Perfect. We'll put that link in the show notes so that everybody can, uh, once you click to subscribe and, and rate us five stars, you, you can follow the Flashpoint blog as well. Thank you both gentlemen and Kim. Amazing. We'll have to do this again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. We're releasing new episodes weekly. So if you liked what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Reviews and sharing to your friends and colleagues is also appreciated. Thank you again to our friends at Flashpoint Intel for their continued partnership and for Ian and Vlad for joining us on today's episode. Finally, I hope you'll join us May 18th and 19th for the Chainalysis Links Conference in New York City. To register, visit the URL linked in the show notes.